Did you ever feel like what you learned in law school didn't prepare you for the world of running a law practice? Law school didn't teach us how to start our practices the right way so that we could scale them into a thriving business. We didn't learn how to make sure that our businesses would meet our financial goals and provide the type of lifestyle we deserve. After 10 years, I was fed up with struggling in my practice and decided to begin a journey to scaling a successful practice that would actually allow me to finally live the life I've always dreamed of. I invite you to listen in on the conversations I'm having with some of the most successful solo and small firm practitioners, along with leading business entrepreneurs, and share how I am implementing what I am learning, all with the goal of helping you take control of your practice and your life. This is The Law Entrepreneur. Hey there, fellow law entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 70 of The Law Entrepreneur. I'm Neil Tyra, your host as always. I want to apologize for last week. We did not have a show. I meant to get word out that uh, we weren't going to be able to do a show last week. It was, you know, one of those perfect storm situations. I had, you know, a little, I had a little abdominal surgery uh, the week before. Nothing, nothing extensive, but it did take longer to recover than I had anticipated. It was a little more involved than I had anticipated. And I was unable to actually kind of do any kind of real work uh, on the, on the medications that I was on. So that, that caused a problem. And I had some previous interviews lined up uh, for that period of time. But again, because of the, uh, the medication, the recovery, a time I wasn't able to record an episode, and then coupled with that was the fact that we're getting ready to just start our annual Fourth um, of July period of time at, at the beach. So I am literally coming to you today on the fifth of July. That's when this episode is being recorded from South Bethany in Delaware, South Bethany Beach, sitting here looking at uh, at the beach. Smaller crowds than uh, than yesterday, but the dolphin are still out going up and down the shore, so that's kind of fun to watch. And I know that's a first-world problem, and probably those of you who went back to work uh, right after the 4th of July are are, are mad <laughs> at me for, for that, but uh, I apologize. So what I wanted to do today, during the my period of recuperation, I came across a report published by the Thomson Reuters company, the legal publishers, uh, and the report is entitled How Small Law Firms Succeed Under the Pressure of Today's Challenges or Fail. And this is the 2016 State of the U.S. Small Firms Study done by Thomson Reuters in which they survey 300 what they refer to as solo or small firms partners, the partners in 300 solo or, or small firm practices. You know, as we'll talk about a little later on here, I, th- I think that's a bit of a mischaracterization because what they've done is they've divided this sample base up into four groups, that being true solos as one group or a firm with from two to six attorneys or three, a firm from seven to ten attorneys and fourthly, a firm from 11 to 29 attorneys. Now, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think when you're talking about solo or small firms, I would only really consider, frankly, 
the lower two categories there. You know, true solos or a firm that has between two and six attorneys. I think once you get over six attorneys, you're talking mid-sized firms. And once you get over 30 attorneys, you're talking about large firms. That's just me. That's how I, I feel. And I think I think you're going to get different answers to these kinds of questions when you're dealing with partners in a firm that has between 7 and 10 attorneys or between 11 and 29. And I think my, my major criticism of this study is that I, I feel that the, the answers are uh, skewed uh, to that end of the demographic, but, but maybe not. We'll see. Anyway, what they've done is, as I said, they've, they sent out this survey and they got responses back in, from those types of law partners or law firm managers, and they identified nine specific challenges that these types of law firm faced in 2016 and how they felt about those challenges. And I'm not going to go into detail about all nine. You can download the report. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, and you can download the report. It's pretty easy to read. It's only a half a dozen pages or so. Some really good graphics in there as well. But again, just for the benefit is how small law firms succeed under the pressure of today's challenges or fail. And the of the nine categories uh, of challenges that they identified, three rose to the top. And those three are, number one, the challenge of acquiring new client business. And in that sense, this challenge was addressed really by all categories of law firms in their study whether it was number one or not, depended largely on the size of the, the law firm, as well as the degree to which that law firm identified themselves as being successful or unsuccessful or very successful or somewhat successful. There was a whole number of different characterizations of success that each of these uh, firms identified with. And that correlation came out, and we'll see that in a little bit uh, further down the line here. So the challenge of acquiring new client business was uh, identified as the number one challenge facing small firms. Number two was the client rate pressure or clients wanting more for less. The challenge caused by pressure to reduce the rate being charged to clients or conversely by clients who are demanding or wanting more value and, and at less cost. And again, this concern, this challenge was felt across the board by, by all firms and by all those firms that identify as being you know, successful or or, or less than successful. And the third area there was the challenge of time being spent on administrative tasks versus doing real legal work. So administrative tasking uh, versus the performance of, of, of legal work. And, you know, again, the reason these things rose to the top of this survey is because this challenge was felt by, again, all of the 
law firms in this in this survey uh, to some extent or another, and regardless of how they viewed themselves in terms of success. But there were some interesting issues here, I thought, with these three significant or most significant challenges. In terms of the new business development or acquiring new business, this firm identified the competition from other firms of, of the same size or from larger firms seeking to acquire the same business as smaller firms were trying to address as being the primary concern they had. So it, when it came to developing new business and finding new clients, the vast majority of those who responded to this survey said that what they felt was competition from from other firms, peer firms or larger firms, as I said, uh, going after the same type of clients as smaller firms were. However, the smaller firms, and again, going back, we're talking about so, you know, true solos or, or firms that have between two and six attorneys, their view of that challenge of acquiring new business was a little different. Their concern mostly had to do with the competition from pro se clients or clients that were availing themselves of what I would call do-it-yourself legal services. Um, and we, we all know of some of the, the companies out there that are catering to what Avo in their lawyeronomics conference a couple of years ago identified as the uh, emerging new law firm client as being clients who really felt that they could do it themselves with a little bit of coaching maybe uh, or some guidance from a do-it-yourself package that these clients would be able to provide the services that a, a small firm might typically have done before this uh, at lower cost or with greater efficiency or just be more satisfied in doing it themselves. And I think we we see that in things like uh, estate planning. We see that in terms of uh, business formation, the kinds of products that these do-it-yourself firms and pro se advocates are catering to. We see, we see the pressure in, in that arena. So it was interesting to look at, at, at these two different striations, if you will, of what represented or what constituted uh, the challenge of acquiring new client business. On the second uh, of these challenges, the rate pressure, the report was really had very little to say other than everybody felt that there was a pressure to either reduce their rates or not to exceed a certain level or finding that clients were adverse to hiring them because of their high rates and 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 maybe racing to the to the bottom of the rate you know barrel and and lawyers felt that they were they had to compete on price um, or coming across clients who who felt they wanted more value for the for the money they were spending but there wasn't really very much differentiation other than to say that most firms in this study felt that that was a a significant challenge and so much so that that rose to number number 2 in this list and number three was the the pressure or the challenge of having to spend time doing administrative tasks. 
And again, this was felt across the board by all sizes of firms in this study, and regardless of whether they identified as being successful or unsuccessful. But it was felt strongest by the, the lower two categories, the solo and the firms with two to six attorneys. And that, that probably stands to reason, I guess, um, to an extent, that the time spent by those folks doing administrative tax rep tasks represented a significant challenge to the success of that firm. So that's the summary of the top three challenges identified in this study and what the study had to say about them. Um, Like I said, I don't don't know that there's a lot to be, in my mind, to be gained from that other than saying, sure, I feel the same way. New client business and rate pressure and administrative tasks are all a challenge to, to my success, but I didn't learn really anything new from that discussion. And before I go on to talk about some of the other aspects of the study, let me just, for your benefit, review what the other, the other challenges were. Number four was the increasing complexity of technology. Firms felt that that was a challenge that they were facing uh, with respect to uh, technology. Number five, cost control and expense growth. Now, as we'll see a little bit later in my discussion, I, I think that should have been higher, should have been more significant, but it's all the way down at, at number five on their list. Uh, number six was changes in the legal marketplace. And it didn't really explain that in the study, but I'm going to assume that meant what we were talking about in terms of the delivery of legal services, particularly from you know, those kinds of companies that advertise that capability. So that represents a challenge. Uh, number seven was lack of internal efficiency. And, you know, certainly if you're going to compete in the legal marketplace, you need to be able to to perform in an efficient manner. So, again, being, being on the list here down at number seven, I was a little surprised by that. Number eight was a category that, frankly, I mean, I don't really understand this. The challenge was listed as the information overload from the growth of documents. Now, the only thing I can think that that addresses is that those firms that do work that requires that they review legal documents or review any type of, uh, of printed material, that that printed material is, you know, there's more and more of it uh, from all sources. And so I guess if you're competing in that, if, in that area, that might be a, a, a very big concern of yours. And then the ninth challenge listed in the study was succession planning. I found that to be interesting, that it, A, that it made the list. Uh, I'm not surprised that it's all the way down at the end, uh, at number nine, as succession planning very often is something that uh, solos and small firm practitioners think about at the very end of things. So now, here's where I think things get kind of interesting and and really speak volumes. A large percentage of those who were surveyed haven't figured out a plan to address what they feel is their number one, two, or three primary challenge to success. In each of the top three, the majority of the respondents either A, didn't know or didn't have a plan for addressing that challenge, or B, they have a plan but have not yet implemented it or are waiting for it to be implemented. 
So again, looking at all three of those primary challenges, better than 50%, in some cases, for the number three challenge that was spending too much time on administrative tasks, which I really thought would have lent itself more easily to developing a plan than perhaps the other two, more than 55% of the respondents either didn't have a plan or had a plan and hadn't yet implemented it. So I thought that was kind of an interesting observation. The next section of the of the analysis here was what was the definition of success? And so if you're kind of looking at all these challenges and trying to figure out, well, how do you know if you're meeting that challenge? How do you know if your law firm is being successful? They surveyed their audience here, and there were a list of five criteria that all the law firms who responded to listed as the definition of success or what they look at to be the definition of success, and they ranked them. So number one was client satisfaction rating. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, as again, I'll talk about as we go further, from the attorneys that I have spoken to on this show and and elsewhere, I think it's the minority of law firms that even have a process for collecting client satisfaction rating numbers. So to have that be your number one criteria for success, I wonder how these firms came to conclude that. Are they do they have data to support that that's their primary definition of success or is this anecdotal? You know, are they saying that yeah, clients love us, clients love our firm. How do you know? Well, they tell us. Is that how they're measuring success? Just the anecdotal feedback that they're getting? I don't know. The second criteria for determining success was repeat business. And again, I thought that to be interesting because I mean, maybe my, my view is kind of skewed by the type of law that I practice, but for me, I mean, repeat business would, would be an indicator of success, but my client base and my practice area doesn't really lend itself to repeat business. I mean, you can get, well, I guess you can get more than one divorce, right? You have more than one custody battle. Uh, you can write more than one estate plan for an individual, maybe update it and change it. But to me, that wouldn't be a real indicator of success. Perhaps there are other practice areas where that's a better definition of success. Number three was overall profits. Now, I can see that using that as a tool for measuring your success, obviously. The more profitable the firm, the more successful it is. So that works fine. Number four was work-life balance. Of all the things that had been said before, of all the discussion about the challenges that had been listed, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that this made the list. Uh, my, my sense is, is that given all of the above, a small firm, you know, the, the true solos or the, or the firms with the two to six attorneys, they're probably, in my opinion, the ones who, when you ask them, how do you know whether your firm is successful or not, they're going to tell you, well, I feel like I have the proper work-life balance. 
right? So I'm just that I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. And then fifth on the definition of success was overall revenue. I would I don't know that I would have necessarily broken that out separately from overall profits, which was the number three criteria, because I think profits and revenue go hand in hand. They're different measures of success for sure, but I think I would have looked at that a little differently. So, in summary, what they were looking at when they talked to to the firms that self-identified as being successful, the ones who uh, thought they were they were doing the doing well, a couple of observations here was that overall profits plus client satisfaction correlates to success. And I try to think about that a little bit. Overall profits plus client satisfaction correlates to success. Well, to the degree that you that you are collecting information or collecting data about client satisfaction, I, you know, I assume that you could link those two criteria together uh, as a measure of success. But uh, again, as I said, uh, maybe I'm wrong. But I'm, I'm not sure that firms do a lot of work to measure their client satisfaction. Maybe, maybe they should. Maybe they are. Maybe uh, I'm, I'm the only one who's uh, out of touch with that. Second observation of theirs was operationally, the more time you're doing legal work and the less time you're doing administrative work, that correlates to being successful. Now, I'm not sure that I would agree with that. I, I certainly feel that that's a goal. The more time you have to do legal work, the less time you're spent doing administrative work means that your firm is successful, but I'm not sure that that one leads to the other. But that's what the survey said. And then lastly, that leveraging your brand to win uh, business or to grow your business was a measure of being successful. That the successful firms, the firms that identified as being successful, that they leveraged their brand to win and to grow their business. And that's how how and why they define themselves as being successful. It, as a corollary to that, there was a, a statement there that most of the firms that identified as being successful further indicated you can't cost cut to profitable growth. In, in, term, in other words, that reducing your expenses alone is not sufficient to result in profitable growth. And in this final section of the, of the report, this, which was identified as solutions, is where I have kind of my, my biggest concern and why I thought we need to do a podcast on this. Because, again, looking at the three top criteria, and I'm only addressing the three, you can read the report for the rest of it, but acquiring new business, the suggestion that the authors drew from their analysis of the data was that building brand recognition, in other words, being identified as the best of the best, was the key component to successful acquisition of new business. I'm not sure I would agree with that. I, I, again, I think it's an important part, but and, and that was the only solution offered in the report with respect to acquiring new business. So if you want, according to this report, if you wanted to 
acquire new business, you need to work harder at building your brand recognition and I, such that people identify your firm as being the best of the best. And I, I'm not sure that that's true. Number two, for client rate pressure, their solution, having analyzed this data, their recommended approach to a, to a solution was to move away from the billable hour model. And again, while that might be a, a way of addressing that pressure, I'm not sure that that's entirely the key solution to uh, reducing pressure uh, on, on, your, on your rates that you charge clients. And number three, this one I thought that came a little closer to the mark, the solution for the challenge of spending too much time doing administrative tasks was to leverage technology. And I think they're closer to the mark there in their analysis um, than they are in the other two. And certainly leveraging technology, and as I want to talk about here in our, our wrap-up, administrative tasks, uh, reducing administrative tasks can be done through that process, but I think there are, are some other tasks or other approaches. This episode of The Law Entrepreneur is sponsored by Market Circle, the makers of Daylight. Do you want to help more clients but don't have the resources? Do you feel overwhelmed by the amount of work to do that you can't even think about getting new clients? If this is you, I urge you to try out Daylight. Daylight is the Mac CRM that streamlines your practice and can save you hours of work each week. Daylight has helped thousands of small businesses, including my own, to manage more clients and cases without adding stress nor chaos. With Daylight, you don't need to fumble through files or notes to know where you are in a case. There's no more CCing your assistant on emails or passing around spreadsheets. Because Daylight now has a new team view that helps you see what everyone in your firm is working on. You can see everyone's appointments and tasks and easily schedule meetings for the entire team or a portion thereof. To learn how Daylight can help your firm, visit marketcircle.com slash daylight. Be sure to let them know you heard about Daylight through The Law Entrepreneur to get a 50% discount on your first monthly subscription. That's Market Circle, the makers of Daylight. In addition, I want to tell you about my friends at Spotlight Branding. I trust them to manage the internet presence for my law firm, and I recommend them to solo lawyers every chance I get. They build a great website for me, and they use video marketing, social media, email marketing, and more to keep me top of mind with my referral network. And this helps me generate more referrals and more business for my firm. Their services are designed to help lawyers get better results out of the resources they're already investing into marketing and business development. They create an internet foundation that makes all of your marketing work better. That's because these days almost every potential client is going to check out your web presence before they hire you. It's important that you create a strong first impression. And that's what Spotlight Branding has done for me and they can do it for you too. So visit SpotlightBranding.com to learn more. They're even offering a free gift for our podcast listeners, which you can access at SpotlightBranding.com slash T-L-E. So in the end, what do I think about this report? Uh, not much, really. I, I think it's skewed. 
uh, by two things, the quality of the questions that were asked and the inclusion of having these larger mid-range firms, in my, in my opinion, uh, responding to the survey because I think it skews the answers. So I thought I'd just give you a quick rundown. This is totally subjective. It's totally my opinion. Your mileage may vary. But based on the previous 69 episodes that we've done here on The Law Entrepreneur and my own observations, I thought I would uh, give you my top three challenges for solo and small firm practitioners. And I'm going to say that when I mean solo and when I speak of solo and small firm practitioners, I'm talking about true solos or firms that have uh, three or less attorneys. To me, that's truly solo and small firm. Four or more, you start to get in mid-range, in my opinion. So anyway, that's, that's my approach, or my view. And I would say, based on, on again, on the shows that we've done and, and the part, and folks that I've spoken to, I will agree that the number one challenge for solo and small firm practitioners is acquiring new business. It's what everybody asks about. When you talk to anybody about going solo or how have you done having gone uh, solo, the first question folks ask is, how are you getting new business? How are you acquiring new clients? And so within that challenge, I think there are, again, three, three areas where we can focus. And again, this is based on what I've, this is not really, this is not me. I'm not holding myself out as being an expert here. This is what I surmise from listening to my guests is, number one, identifying and marketing to your ideal client is key. So I think this is a practical solution in the sense that everyone we've spoken to about this subject has always said the first thing you have to do is identify who is your ideal client. And what characteristics do they have? Where do they gather? How can you speak to them? Okay, what do they want? And so I think identifying and marketing to the ideal client is the key component to success in acquiring new business. Number two in that regard would be to systematically communicate to those new clients or that new client base. And here we've We've talked to a lot of solo practitioners and small firm practitioners about automated email um, campaigns or just a in-house procedural approach to systemically communicating once they get that first lead. The, the idea of converting a lead to a to a prospect or to a new client and to do so in a systematic way refining that element of the new business acquisition acquisition uh, procedure is really important to to success. And then thirdly, we've spoken to attorneys who really focus in on the frictionless process to becoming a new client. You know, some folks um some firms there are a lot of obstacles to becoming a new client and I think if you spend all this time identifying and marketing to your ideal client and systematically communicating with them, you want to make it easy for them to sign on the bottom line. So you want to facilitate the process of generating your retainer agreement or retainer letter, uh, getting it to them in an efficient manner, um, getting their signature, answering their questions, 
um, getting it reviewed, getting it back in-house, and starting the new client file, getting just a really comfortable and worthwhile new client experience. I think from all of the folks that we've heard from that those are three pragmatic, doable solutions to how to acquire a new business. And that being a key challenge or the number one key challenge for uh, solo and small firms. Now, so we agree acquiring, I agree with with, with the study that acquiring new business or, or new clients is often the number one challenge for, for new firms or new solos. Number two, though, I disagree. Number two, I would say that uh, improving and controlling the financial performance of your firm is the key to becoming successful. And again, just based on the conversations we've had, you know, once you get past how are you getting new business, what are you doing to market your firm, the second question people have and or the second concern that people have is, well, how you are, are you making any money? Uh, is it profitable? Is your income exceeding your expenses? And I think that because if you don't have the money coming in, you're not going to be a solo for very long. So I think that's a a very significant challenge, and I'm I'm surprised that that wasn't addressed in in all of the nine. List, listed challenges in in the in the Thomson Reuters report. Individual components of that were addressed, but not the overall improving and controlling the entire financial performance. So, I think in order to do that, from what we've heard on this show, there are th- again three three things that that stuck out in my mind looking back at at who we've spoken to and number 1 is you have to do a hard evaluation of costs to deliver and your expenses in other words you have to look at how much money is going out evaluate where you're spending your money and how much it costs you to deliver your legal services and get that as low as possible it's the lower you can get uh, your expenses and the cost to deliver the the more room you have to work with. That's just a, you know, that's just a financial principle. Uh, number two would be the efficient delivery of those services and products. The, the more efficient you can be in terms of delivering your services and generating your products, the greater profitability you're going to have. Number one, if you look hard and reduce the cost of delivery and, and expenses, and number two, you improve the efficient delivery of those services and products. And in this case area, I'm, I'm looking very closely at the, the role of, of technology, leveraging technology in the discussions we've had with all of our guests. That goes a long way into improving and controlling your financial performance. But the last part here, number three, again, this is a part where I think I'm most guilty of this, and some of the attorneys we spoken to have addressed this themselves. Number three, you must have metrics for understanding and evaluating your performance. You know, key performance measures, as we would you know, speak of them in the past. So you need to know, in general, how much uh, money are you getting for each client? What's your average uh, revenue per client? What's your average cost of acquiring a new client? What is are your average monthly expenses? What is your average monthly revenue? 
if you don't, if you're not able to collect that data really, really easily, and you're not able to look at that, you really don't have any idea of where to concentrate your effort and where to, where subsequently to spend your money. So those are the three solution methodologies I think we've heard about for the number two challenge, improving and controlling your financial performance. And number three, I think, again, just listening to our our guests on the show, the, the third biggest challenge that most solos and small firm practitioners face is achieving a work-life balance. And we hear this time and time again from folks who enter into the solo practice that burnout and overwork and the stress caused by doing 60 to 80-hour work weeks is just crippling to the success of these firms. And while I thought it was interesting in, in, the, in the Thomson Reuter piece that the definition of success, success they listed work-life balance as being the fourth you know, most important measure of the definition of success. But in the terms of the nine challenges they, they focus in on on the report, there's no correlation toward of any of those towards the work-life uh, balance. So I would say, for many, for many solos and for many small firms, achieving that work-life balance is a primary reason that they're going into business by themselves in the first place. They felt like they didn't have that in, in large law firms that they had worked at. So to me, that is the third most significant challenge. And I have three ideas here that we've heard about on the show for helping you achieve that. And number one is outsourcing. Outsourcing as much work as possible uh, will help you achieve this work-life balance. We're talking about accounting, billing, outsourcing your receptionist work, outsourcing paralegal, even some legal work, outsourcing legal research, your website development, your social media presence. Um, Outsource all of that if you can, because in in the long run, it's more efficient and it's going to help you get to that work-life balance. And it addresses the problem, which was listed as the number three most uh, significant challenge in in the Thomson Reuters survey, and that was spending too much time on administrative tasks. Now, why, when they analyzed their respondents' data, why they didn't come up with a concept of outsourcing some of uh, the work? They only, as you recall, pointed to leveraging technology as as a solution methodology. To me, outsourcing is maybe the key aspect of helping to achieve a uh, work-life balance and to reducing the amount of administrative tasks that you do. So number two in uh, trying to achieve a work-life balance, as we've heard on this show, is the movement towards and the creation of a virtual office. I think the more you can, and here we're leveraging technology for sure, but it's become so ubiquitous that it's not really a a, a real significant you know, challenge or, or a difficulty to overcome to achieve a more virtual office, meaning that you could do the work that you need to do, the legal work that you need to do from wherever you need to do it. 
that means that you have a methodology for storing files online or in the cloud, that you can get all the data you need to get, that you have all the systems in place, such as a, a receptionist, such as Ruby receptionist that, that, that I use, or you know, something along those lines, so that your clients can reach you wherever you are at the appropriate time, of course, and that there's no sense that if you're not in the office, you're not getting work done. You need to be able to get work done when you choose to work, wherever you choose to do that work. So it gives you a great amount of flexibility. It improves your responsiveness. And in my my view, I think it's, it's an improvement to the financial bottom line because I think you can perhaps do away with having to spend a lot of money on a storefront or, or, or real estate for an office. You don't have to actually rent a real office and pay those types of expenses. So you have a little more flexibility in, in the financial area. So the movement towards a virtual office, I think, is an important work solution for achieving that work-life balance. And last but not least, uh, we've heard on this show a lot of time spent towards time management and um, focusing you, uh, your efficiency. I think that when we talk about Getting more work done with less time and less waste and often less stress, that the key solution is to do a better job of managing your time and not letting the day's activities manage you. Manage your time, block scheduling. We've, we've heard a lot about that on the show. Again, using technology, if that's what you choose, or some, having a really powerful day, day planner. But to me, that's a key component to achieving the proper work-life balance. So there you have it. That's my um, my take on this study. I must say, when I read it uh, the first time, I, I thought, well, that's really interesting. And then I read it the second time, and I thought, well, I have a problem with this, that, or the other. The third time I read it, I actually feel that it doesn't quite tell the picture uh, properly and might even do a disservice to some who think that that's the approach to achieving success for solo and small firms. And that's why I wanted to take some time to lay that out and to also you know, give you my view, and again, it's just my view, based on the guests who have appeared on this show, what the key challenges are for success on a solo uh, and small firm practitioner, that being number one, acquiring new business, number two, improving and controlling your financial performance, and number three, achieving a work-life balance. So that's it from the beach here in uh, South Bethany, slower, lower Delaware, as we like to say. I want to do one last thing before we go, and stay with me here. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to a, a legal conference that's coming up uh, called TBD Law. TBD Law, where the future of law practice is to be determined. This is a conference that's run by The Lawyerist. And I've been listening to The Lawyerist podcast for a long time. This is a podcast done by Sam Glover and Aaron Street. But The Lawyerist itself is a larger entity of which the podcast is just one element. They have a really interesting blog and they do a number of really fun and, I think, interesting things uh, uh, on their uh, site. As an example, every year they come out with a ranking of the best law firm websites for solo and small firms. 
they're having a competition right now about submitting the best legal fiction uh, story. So fictional story writing that involves a legal issue or you know a legal setting it doesn't have to be you know the John Grisham in you, so to speak. Uh, I think that's pretty that's pretty cool. But anyway, they have uh, this conference. They're having it's now up to their third one. They've done two previous ones, and so you might hear of it sometimes referred to as TBD three. But that's coming up in uh, August, August twenty seventh through the 29th in St. Louis, and that's. Uh, Missouri, and it's little. I mean, it's a little bit of a misnomer because you get there, and I think it. I think the twenty seventh is a Sunday, but it, whatever. You get there on the on the twenty seventh, and and there's a reception, and then they bus you out to a the Wilderness Lodge, which uh, you know is out out in the country someplace, and the whole conference takes place out there. So. It's kind of a mix between a legal conference and a personal development retreat, and it sounds fascinating, and I'm really interested to see if I can make it there. Because of the limited uh, amount of folks who can attend, there is an application process, which <laughs> which is really cool for a legal conference. You have to apply to go. You just can't you know, throw down your money. Now, fortunately, the application process isn't difficult, but it's due come this Friday July 14th. So you don't have a lot of time. What I would do is go to their website, www.lawyerist.com slash events, and we'll have this on the uh, show notes. If you're driving in the car or listening to this in the shower or something, um, we'll, we'll have that there. But go to, their, go to the website, look up uh, TBD Law, find the uh, application, fill it out. It takes you less than three minutes, honestly. It's not that difficult to fill out the application and hopefully you'll get word back that you've been accepted and we'll see you again i'm hoping i get to go uh we'll see you at tbd law 3 august 27th 28th and 29th okay so again that's it for today i hope you have a great week and we'll be back to you next week on the law entrepreneur thanks so much once again i'd like to thank our friends at Market Circle, the makers of Daylight and Spotlight Branding, for being sponsors of today's podcast. Market Circles, as the makers of Daylight, provide the tool that I use to manage my cases, my clients, my calendar, my to-dos, the emails, and they do so all in one app that stays with me on my Mac, my iPhone, and my iPad. I use Daylight on my own in a solo environment, but you can also use it in a team. You can use Daylight to track the status of cases and delegate tasks to one another on your team. And you can see everyone's schedule all without having to interrupt anyone. Daylight is one of the tools that I use to stay organized and it increases my efficiency. And therefore, it only stands to reason that it'll do the same for you and your team if you use it in a broader environment. So visit marketcircle.com daylight to try Daylight free for 30 days. And be sure to let them know that you heard about Daylight through the Law Entrepreneur in order to get a 50% discount on your first monthly subscription. Also, our friends at Spotlight Branding, as always, have been very helpful in sponsoring this podcast. You know, I trust them to manage the internet presence for my law firm, and I recommend them to solo lawyers every chance I get. They built a great website for me, and they use video marketing, social media, email marketing, and more to help keep me top of mind with my referral network. So visit www.spotlightbranding.com 
To learn more, they're even offering a free gift for podcast listeners, which you can access at spotlightbranding.com slash T-L-E, as in the law entrepreneur. So spotlightbranding.com slash T-L-E to access your free gift. And as always, make sure that you visit our website, www.thelawentrepreneur.com, to see everything that's going on with the podcast and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay in the know and be the first on your block, so to speak, to uh, gain insight into what's going on here. So once again, thanks for being here this time around. I appreciate your listenership. Hope to see you again next week on The Law Entrepreneur.